Oh my gosh. You know, the problem starts in the school system. They don't care. Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And this week is just another great guest, David Malonis, who is actually an IT, corporate IT product manager. That's what he is. And you're asking, well, Matt, why is he on here? Well, because he's taken a passion for finance. He wrote a book 17 years ago saying, I'm not going to be flipping burgers when I'm 70. That's the name of the book. And he took an interest in personal finance, and he's been helping people pro bono with personal finance from budgeting to paying down debt to buying homes, etc. And he has just a unique perspective, and he has a podcast about it, two episodes a week helping people with their personal finances because he just believes that financial literacy is what's going to power change and innovation in this country, and he wants to give back. Such an amazing individual that David is, and to have him on our show, his story about how him and his wife have met and his wife's background is incredible. Now his wife's the COO at a large wealth management firm, so he's surrounded by it, and he loves it, and it was just a unique conversation that everybody's going to learn from. So let's get over to my conversation with David. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. David Malonis, really stoked to have you on the podcast, really excited to to kind of chat about you know your background and what you were doing and you know for our listeners because I mean you just have you're you're doing a, there's a lot of different aspects and areas that you're you're a part of tell us just a little bit about yourself you know give your elevator pitch of of you who is David Malonis yeah that's a good question so I am a podcast host as as you may know or people listening won't know that but the podcast is something on my mind .net, it's personal finance. So we've been doing that since April of 2020. We can, I'm sure we'll get into that a little later, but that's one thing I do. I've been in corporate IT for oh, 25 years, uh, running managing projects basically for large companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. And um, so now, you know, I guess at this point in my life, basically also doing a lot of financial coaching, a lot of it just for free, to be honest. And so I'm a published author in personal finance. I did that, oh, 2005 personal finance book, basically for layman's to teach people how to get themselves right so they can actually manage money so then they can do other things with that money because it's sorely needed in this country. So that's always been like a, a mission to me because it's on the whole to fit the sum of this little pitch up is that um, it's like an epidemic that no one talks about. So there's always this underlying mission for me. And, and at this point in my life, we're just trying to give back whatever I can on, on many levels. So where, I mean, corporate IT, personal finance, how did you go from that? I know you want to give back, but there have been, like, if you're a corporate IT, there's more, ultimately more ways that you can give back that's in that vertical. What led you down this personal finance route from corporate IT? You know, it's, it's interesting. Again, I've always been doing it. I started this, I didn't know I was doing it. When I wrote this book, I didn't know how to write a book. I basically turned it into a textbook and they told me once it was published, if I made it into a textbook, I might be living on a beach somewhere. But I didn't know. And it was hard to get published. So I was helping a guy one day who was paying um, interest only on a second mortgage, just some guy next to me in a cube. And I was in my early 30s. And I'm like, no, 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 dude, you don't want to do that. And he's like, what do you mean? Some guy, if he was from India, he didn't know anything, especially living in America. Aside from that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I give a lot of presentations and I talk to corporate people all the time. So I'm kind of good at this. So I'm a really deep explainer. I want everybody to understand something because I hate it when people don't understand something. They walk away and people usually don't dig enough anyway. So I'd rather give them enough to look at to say, you know, what's given to you. So when I wrote this thing, it was like a textbook, but not a hard textbook. It's just everything's displayed. So when I ran through the first, it's 117 pages just on the budget. 
but I have a lot of tables and displays and I show everything, why this went out and did this and I had the arrows and the charts and the colors and all this stuff, kind of like a dummies book in a way. Mm-hmm. And that really kept me on my mission to do something on a, maybe a larger scale. And then over the years, I just was just, I just tell people like, you know, even on the show we have now, um, I think we're going to begin to monetize because we're doing well, but that's not why we did it. We spent a lot of money to put a studio together here because we could, because we've mm-hmm. invested and saved well. So like, well, why not continue to do this on another level with podcasting? But I will make one other insertion to this is um, when I met my wife 10 years ago, blended family, she, uh, prior to that, she, well, she had negative $1,200 in the bank and she had been mentally, physically, and um, verbally abused. She was homeless for a short time, just in a bad way, bad guy. And um, she was living on a rental house when I met her, but I had a lot of things she was cleaning up. And, but the ironic thing is she worked in personal finance or Mm. or a brokerage firm, major brokerage firm. And so, but the mental side got to her. So when we sat down, it's like, okay, well, we got married really fast. And and I wouldn't advise anybody to do that by statistics, but (laughs) It's worked out great. But when we sat down, it's like, okay, we got a new mission. And I just felt like it's something I needed to do. It must've fell in my wheelhouse in my basket at the right time. My son and I kind of think we kind of saved the, the family a little bit. There's the way we, we look back on it, but everybody's an actor and player in the part of the movie. And, um, you know, since then she is broke the glass ceiling and she's a COO for a, an independent wealth management firm. And they're one of the highly ranked in the country. And, that's where she went to from where, you know, so we're going back a little bit, but that's, you know, where we've came from, especially her. And then now that we're have all this wealth or enough wealth, we can do other things to continue the mission. And I only work to stay busy because I stay home and I know we do live a certain lifestyle. Can we retire? Yes, but we do like to spend and play. And so it's like, well, why not just keep doing it if I'm going to be home anyway, make some money, and then we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we got plans to drop into some other things and expand what we're doing here. And that's kind of where we're landing at this moment. That is an incredible story. And kudos to your wife. That's um, an inspiring story for anybody, right? That, that, that's why I think being in wealth management is so rewarding, right? Is to be able to help people realize their full financial dreams and potential. And not everything is about money, but money does help you accomplish dreams that you tend to have, right? To invest in yourself and invest in others, et cetera. You know, I'm interested to know from your point, because you said, you know, you love to be detail oriented and break it down to where people can understand it. And you mentioned that in your book, budgeting, you know, it it, it was, uh, I think 117 pages is what you said, which is, it's a lot that takes me about, you know, a few months to read. But what is the biggest, the the most difficult financial topic that you've had to break down for someone? And can you break it down for us in like two minutes? Absolutely. So this is the first thing I did with my wife, Cindy, but I do, I've done it with everybody. When you don't budget, you don't know anything. You just have some things in your head. You don't really know what numbers are, what you actually spend money on. And you might know what your paycheck may be, but you don't even understand your taxes. I guarantee you that. So especially if you're in really bad shape and you, and you have a lot more responsibilities, if you're someone just getting out of college, it's a much simpler process, but go pull out the bank statements, go pull out the credit card statements. And I want them printed out. I do not want them digitally. You want to go back digitally and, and do um, some analysis and put something in a spreadsheet. Cool. I want you to get a pen. And let's go walk through the behavior of all your spending and the epiphanies, the light bulbs just start going off. And the number one thing that always comes up in most households, even if you did this exercise or not, the number one cost is 
food related. So like in Cindy's case, she was in a, a bad case. She's spending money on uh, Panera and Subway and all these places for the kids. And she said, I was trying to buy their love because I was in a bad way. And as simple as, hey, mom, can we, you know, stop at Subway after after school and go eat? And it's like, yeah. And then you start looking at that. Then you start looking at the groceries. You start looking at actual dining out. You start looking at all these things related to food and they just start adding up. And that's the number one concept that people don't understand. And you can throw in coffee in there. Anything that's a food or a drink related item is the biggest light bulb that goes off. And then that's when people, and I will say this, they have to care. So when you're sitting down with them, they already care. Because if you don't care, you don't give a crap, you're not going to do it. So at that point, they really realize, oh my gosh, I could change so many of these things right off the bat. And then that's a confidence builder right out of the gate for them. Love that. That's good. Is budgeting the the hardest thing to explain to people in financial concepts or is there other another concept that's even more difficult than budgeting in your mind? No, it's budgeting. Um, like my son, for example, is, um, of course, we taught them all how to do this, but he's in his first uh, real, real job, if you will. And he's lived on his own for about a year now on his own reconnaissance. And so we've been going over his budget for the last month and every week we'll meet and put another piece together and or watch the inflows and outflows. I think the problem with it is, is that it's accounting and people mm -hmm. hate accounting and I never liked it either. I hated it, but it's credits and debits basically, but there's a lot of moving parts between money going from one place to the next. And they have to understand that I got to make sure that if I mark it off here, I got to mark it off there. If you're charging things to a credit card, then you got to mark it off in this spot and the credit card, then you got to mark it off in a third spot. So there's all these movements, but also the flexibility in the budget where maybe your gasoline came in under this month. Like for example, actually in this economy, it's probably over. Well, did I come over under in another spot? Can I make up for that in that month? So outside of your first question, the second part is you, what you want to do is create yourself with a fixed budget, meaning every item in your budget needs to be fixed as possible. And so the things that are variable, like dining out or groceries or gasoline, things that can move every month, you can get pretty close to where those need to be based on, again, that history. And so what you also do is it's if you're paying for Amazon Prime, that's a, a DMV, that's a yearly thing, right? Or you could have quarterly or by um, biannually. So you need to put money aside for whatever these things are every month into a side account, and then you bill yourself for that. So that way, Amazon Prime, if you put away $11 a month, by the time that bill's due in the year from now, that money's sitting there for you. And so what happens is you start out with people and they're like, well, I have a lot less money than I thought. But then you're like, wait a minute. What happens when you come down here and then you, you have the money sitting there, then you're not dinged for like two bills in a month that cost you another $300 that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And then you also build in rainy day funds and emergency funds and all these things. So like you they realize I have built in this insurance protection plan for myself. I put this money away so I don't get burned and you get rid of these spikes or these ebbs and flows or the standard deviation you have in your money flows in and out become very small. And this means you now get control. You know, it's so interesting thinking of budgeting because I, the concept of pushing it, putting it into another account makes a ton of sense, right? And, and it's like it's like your insurance payments that you pay annually and everything of that nature. It's kind of like the envelope methodology back in the day when mm -hmm. we were when we didn't have digital concepts or digital opportunities. The, the, I, I'd be interested to know because you talked with a lot of people, right? Doing the podcast, writing the book, doing this goodwill to help people. What has been the biggest challenge to get people to buy into this, right? Because I think in the industry, you know, we talk about budgeting and how it's so important and so many apps have come out, but it's, it's just really difficult. I think that what, I mean, just from my personal standpoint of telling someone, you know, they come into my office as an advisor, I, I, I write out a whole budget for them. I know a client, right, comes to mind right away. 
you know, and we had a whole plan. They come back six months later and it's like they haven't done any of it. What, yeah. what, what, what are those examples of people that have challenges with it and why? Oh my gosh. You know, the problem starts in the school system. They don't care. And, you know, if we had time to bring this up and I'm probably going to bring this up and we do a tip every week and I'm just going to, the concept of, we've talked about the national debt clock. And if you look at that, it's like $200 million or $200 million every how many seconds? It's like, it's unfathomable and no entity in the world could ever run like that for real. But it's because it's the government and the money is that we think of isn't necessarily real. It's a medium. If everybody cashed out what was owed to them, like AAG bailout in the financial crisis, you would have went bankrupt. Or China, China owns more debt of ours than anybody. But if everybody cashed in all those bonds that we give out, we'd be bankrupt. So we're a country built on debt and a society with capitalism where you can go borrow things like on credit cards or for houses and cars and boats and you know furniture and whatever you want. It's the buy now, pay later. And that's only growing. So since you have that ability, people can get away with it. And then if they see other people doing things like going to the bar or going to this event or going to a concert, no matter what age, really, well, then the, this FOMO thing exists now, which didn't exist in a term when we grew up also was there. So people have enough ability to blow it off, pay it off later, and just keep kicking the can down the road. But that also stems from the fact that it's not taught in schools to begin with. So there's no skill set. And if your parents are having those bad habits, then they're going to carry those down to you. And, you know, people forget parenting or guardians or whoever means something in your life are the biggest influences in your life. Those are the true role models. They're not athletes, not that they can't be. It's not. It's the people who are closest to you that you grow up with that give you the information to teach you things. So if it's not there to start, you're already in a bad, you're already, the odds are just stacked against you. Yeah. It's so much about who is surrounding you defines, you know, what your foundation is. And I, I talk about that from a psychological standpoint, the, you know, our, our emotional and financial decisions are driven based off of how we were brought up and we can't rechange our brain. It's hard to readjust it. Like, you know, I, I always use the Tim Ferriss example. He talked about it where he was, you know, he was, wrote a ton of books, made a ton of money. He was still buying single ply toilet paper. And he's like, I don't know why. He's like, I have the money. He's like, it's so uncomfortable. Why am I doing it? It's because that's all his parents could afford because they were just earning from penny to penny, dollar from dollar. And he, he couldn't even reset his mind the other way to go because it's just like, it's so ingrained. And that's how it is from a financial standpoint too. Now, you're in corporate IT. We're not going to really talk about that. As I'm intrigued by the financial side that you're doing, I want to ask a two-part question here, right? I'd like for you to give a quick background on what you do as a project manager to, to lay the foundation for this next question, which is, you know, you know, I mean, your wife is running a large wealth management firm. You understand wealth management. You understand how the business works. What do you think wealth management firms can learn about the future of the industry from project managers and how you run as a project manager from that standpoint? Well, your your job as a PM or, or a program manager is to be an MC. You're a gatekeeper. Your job is to have a little fun, but make sure that you get down to business. But the bottom line with all of that is relationships and communication. If you don't have relationships and good communication with those relationships, you'll never get anything accomplished or it takes three times as long to get there so or the business will suffer. So if you don't have that, you're screwed. Let's just be honest. So when it comes to that with like clients... You, I, I like it when people, they want like, and I do this myself, if I'm sitting down with somebody or you're sitting down with managing their money. You want them to be a part of the solution, even though they're paying you to do it. And even though you're, you're in there as a new client and you're meter beating, beating the S and P. So if you can do that, you probably won't lose your clients if your fees are good. 
And uh, that's a good model. And that's what she works under. They don't lose a single client and all they do is grow. And there's a reason for it. But the relationships mean a lot. And I see my wife is like, in her world, she's as good as you get. She's been doing it for 33 years. She's the cream of the crop. But I will say that you have to times tell your clients that, you know, maybe what you're doing is not the right move or you got to say it in a way that's tactful, like, hey, did, did you consider this? Or I see this pattern happening. Are you okay? Do you need any help? Are you good? Also, here's your performance. And if we're underperforming, here's why. Maybe you made this certain choice. You wanted your money to go here. We can make this pivot. So you don't want to just go at them and say, you're not doing this right, or this is this happening. I'm blaming it on something else. You want to have a discussion and always keep it fruitful to where they're part of that discussion so they don't feel like you're being told all the time, even though you have all the answers. And I think the honest dialogue keep somebody around. So even if you were um, at charging higher fees and a competitor that can make more money, they're going to stick with you because they're not going to go jump ship over, you know, a few uh, basis points when they know they're getting a good relationship and getting an honest answer and the performance is where they need it to be. Yeah. It, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head, right? It's, it's relationships and communication, right? Can you communicate effectively? Because although you always try to meet or outperform the S&P 500, it's just not going to happen all the time, right? They're just a, you ultimately have a reversion to the mean and you have to be able to deepen a relationship and deliver unique value in different ways to, you know, keep people happy because people want to have relationships with people. They don't want things to be transactional. That's why it's always like, you know, nothing against insurance people. That's why just people avoid insurance people because it feels like a transaction. It's not a relationship. It's like they're just slinging insurance and um, it's not a relationship. But wealth management should be a relationship. I want to talk about your book. I'm not flipping burgers when I'm 70. First off, where did the title come from? I want to know how you, that's an amazing title, by the way. Yeah, there is a, thank you. There was a, I was sitting in a diner one time and I just, you know, I always remember seeing this old guy through diner because my grandfather worked in the coal mines. It wasn't so, in the steel mills. So when we went out to eat, it wasn't um, high class, it wasn't Faluton. And um, I just remember one day thinking, what am I going to think for a title? And I'm in one of these diners again, more locally where I live. And uh, there's this old guy with a, you know, he's got the apron that's full of stains. He's got the hat. He's got gray hair. He's really, the food's fantastic, overly greasy. It's perfect. And he's witty. But does he want to be there? And I'm like, and then, and think of it this way. This is in 2005. 17 years later, the life expectancy is so much higher. The actuary tables have completely shifted now. And I got flushed out from 2005 all the way to 2009, especially. And then you, I, I just thought like, do I want to be flipping burgers when I'm 70? Because I don't think that guy wants to. If he had another choice in life, that's all he knows. But if he had options throughout his life, is that what he wants to be doing? Would he rather be sitting on an island in Cyprus somewhere? Yes, I would think so on the whole. And so yeah. that's what I thought. Like, So when I'm 35 at that time when it came out, I'm like, I'm not flipping burgers when I'm 70 because that's where people were trying to retire. Yeah. And now, you know, they're trying to retire even earlier. So tell... so. I'm not going to be flipping burgers when I'm 70. Me and you are aligned on that. I can agree with that. That's a goal of mine as well. This book we talked about has budgeting in it. Tell us about the book. Tell us, you know, I always am interested and I think it's always good to, to go through the journey. I mean, I've been fortunate to write three books so far and, you know, it's a journey to write a book. Tell us about the journey it took you to write this book, you know, how long it took and, and then tell us about the book, what's in it, what people can take away from it and who should be reading it. Absolutely. It took about 20 months. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is everything in there is public information. Now you have to dig it out. It's not just there for you to go hit it on a Google search, but I made sure everything was in there so that I didn't have to reference anything. It was all either IRS or just, you know, it rules somewhere. 
So that took a lot of research to do that. No matter what I know, you have to, and when you write these things, you have to double and triple check all your math. And I probably have checked it 20 times going back and making revisions or making an ebook out of the budget section. And it's just, it's never ending. But the thought was to me, again, you can't go anywhere unless you budget your money. So again, it takes you from the first step, like I said, pull out your grocery bill or your, um, your bills and it, you know, list all this out, go down here, list all this out, then start filling it in here. Like it's that complete. But the point is it's anybody it applies to anybody budgeting always does, but I made it from basically a guy who was like 28 and divorced with a kid kind of like a little bit before I was at that mark in my life and I had full custody. So I understood like how hard it was to, to work and, you know, raise a child on your own. And so that's the perspective I took it from. So he's in the midst of working because that's where most people are. They're working and then like they didn't do it. Now I got to make a change. But the point is go do all this, but that's a building block. That's just one section of the book. Then at the time I went through and broke down every piece of the housing process. So, cause you want to be able to own a home. Most people want to do that. So how do you do that? So I, I, and I worked in the mortgage industry for a while. I broke down every single form and said, go look at this form. This is what this means. This is what these fees are. You know, line 264 means this or on your, they don't call it that anymore, but it's a truth and lending statement. And you know, when you go down there and sign, it'll say your mortgage rate is 3.56, but your APR is 3.72. And like, don't look yep. at this because people freak out. It's really this. That's just the cost of the total loan. I don't even know why they do it, but those are things. So that's the, to the level I went to, but I wanted you to get your budget, save for yourself, then get to the house because that's what people want. So I try to tailor to the goals that they need. And then I wanted all other, all kinds of other stuff like basic investing, 401k, Roths, you know, these whole building block things of, you know, however you want to manage your money, you're making these pillars, these tiers to keep building up. And that's really what the premise is. So it's, it's 341 pages, but it's really not that obtrusive. It's not daunting. It's actually just so detailed because I made it that way. Getting through it is not necessarily that long at all. And of course, I didn't. what I didn't put in there was also credit card management, of course. Get yourself out of debt if you're in there. That's, that's, that's toxic to me. So there's certainly a section on that. Are you, I mean, are you planning on writing another one with how times have changed over the past 17 years since you launched that last one? I've updated it and I'm putting it out. There's a available piece on the website. Now you can purchase and we're going to start doing some more marketing or advertising on the show to go buy that. I didn't have to change a ton of it. I had to update the stuff because there's not much that changes. It's just more rule. And the budgeting is once you know what you're doing, it doesn't change. And that's the beauty of it. Now there's certain rules on this or that. There's like this year, there was actually, I just remember this. I just got my taxes done today. And if you don't itemize your deductions, they give you a one-time $600 credit for charitable deductions. So there's like always these little ins and outs. There's stimulus checks. Some people got their stimulus, $250 childcare credit ahead of time this year for six months rather than 12. So there's anomalies and quirks. So that's what the show can pick up on that because you can't keep up. But on the whole, no. But I will say this. My wife and I, Cindy, we're, we are writing a book about our story. And there's sections in there that tells you how we built wealth. So I'll tell you about why we did this with the house. For example, we would say if you're advanced enough with your finance and manage your money, you should never pay down your home. Actually, technically, you should never pay down any debt if you can make more in the market, even if it was mm -hmm. a student loan, technically, or a car payment, to be honest. And I know the Dave Ramsey's of the world or the Susie Ormond's say otherwise, but by the math, by the numbers, if you can make more than the market, you shouldn't do it. 
And those are concepts that we try to push out there for people who are ready to do it. But, but that usually goes right over their head. But that's where people should get to because these rules apply to everybody. Most of the rules that go to the rich can be applied to the people who are just living next door like the millionaire next door who became a millionaire and you have no idea. I love it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the debt conversation, that's a, a really great perspective because it, it is true, right? I mean, it is possible to do that. if you. It, it's just a money game, right? If you can make more in the market than you're paying in debt, you're, you're better off longer term. And then you have the psychological aspect of some people not wanting debt. And then you have to balance all of those. So I want to wrap this up. And I want to wrap it up with two two questions that I always like to kind of touch on. You know, you sit in an interesting seat because you you don't your whole life isn't dependent on this industry, but you want to be well known in this industry to help others with their financial situation. I mean, financial services when I say industry. From your perspective, what is this industry look like in your mind ten years from now? What what's different from it today, or is it the exact same? And that's maybe the challenge that this industry is faced with. But from your perspective, what does the industry look like 10 years from now? There's definitely going to be more digitization. Cannot say that word today, but even a lot of the big firms are putting in more computers and less people. So the transactions are going to be made, which we know, If I'm sure you know, that there's so many transactions being handled by algorithms and computers just make a switch and you wonder why the market goes down one day to the next. They have triggers that people put in and they just flip. And, and, and a lot of times, like when we were buying options on Apple last year, the they, they had the best two quarters in stock market history with forward-looking earnings, blah, 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 and the stock goes down and gets beat up for six, seven months, right? And it's like, well, why? That makes no sense. NVIDIA just beat. NVIDIA did the same thing. Great, great company, great future. Stock gets hammered. Well, they get hammered for another reason. There's like, it's all day long. It's all computers, all computers. So getting to your point of how much is it going to be people-based, I don't know. I don't know that answer. I think that if we keep a divide between the rich and the poor, it's already leaned toward people who have money anyway when you manage other people's money because there's no money in it for someone like you to do it. It's not, you already had the law of diminishing returns. So if the divide is bigger, then you might see people with more money and you're going after a smaller pond of fish to manage money in the wealth management area. And whoever gets those is going to be very lucrative in their mind. But if we don't have education and we and, and and with this divide with the rich and the poor, I just think that, yeah, it's going to be more, I don't want to call it like a club, but you're going to see more of like that. It's just going to be a fraternity of people if you're in it. I mean, think about it. There's 56 million millionaires in this country, or I'm sorry, the world, take that back, and maybe 6.8 millionaires or multimillionaires in this country. That's not a lot when you look by percentage. So most of the people I don't think are going to go after the ones that are underneath it when the when the wealth gap it just keeps growing here. So mm. that's an interesting question, but it would have to be flipped upside down. And I think the real question is how long is this divide going to keep this way? Mm -hmm. There's no when more middle class. Break, right? You can only stretch it for so long. It's going to break somewhere. And the new housing projects to me are going to be the people with Social Security checks that are about $1,000 and they have nowhere to put the old people. And they're going to be those ugly <laughs> orange bricks that you don't want people to go into, but there's nowhere to take care of them because people are living longer and they don't have money and people can't afford to retire. And, you know, I don't want to be negative, but if you think about the major things that happen in this country, inflation, oil, tuition, social security, go on down the line, nothing improves. So if you yeah. have money and education, you're probably in a better spot. You're probably going to be insulated to a large degree. It's my kids' kids who are in their 20s that they're going to have or maybe have that might be in a spot that's going to be very tough for them. 
That is such a perspective, and I, I, I can see that. I think that that's, that's going to be, it, you know, to your point, that it has to be flipped upside down, right? And, and who's going to take that risk when things are so good? And that's the challenge, right? Usually that doesn't happen until something breaks. And so it'll be interesting over the next 10 years to see how that works. Now, listeners are going to probably want to continue to follow you, want to find your book, want to follow your podcast. How can they best you know, get in contact with you, follow you, stay in touch with what you're doing and all the great things that you're doing? Yes, thank you. The book's definitely through the website, but it's called, again, I'm Not Flipping Burgers When I'm 70. You can find it anywhere, like Amazon. Uh, our website is somethingonmymind.net. There we have podcast transcripts, or we have um, a blog for tips. We have the podcast itself and some education, and certainly, you know, you can write into the show. Uh, on the whole, we have a, a full-length episode every Monday. We have a financial tip that's a couple of minutes every Thursday, and that's our format. And in social media, you can find us at pretty much most handles around the social media ranks at, at somm.podcast. I love it. David, this was a fun conversation. Really enjoy it. Uh, can't wait to continue to follow you on your podcast and your book. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll let us know when you and your wife's book comes out as well. I'd love to read that. Thanks so much for your time, man. Stay well, be well, and the best is ahead, my friend. Talk soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.